Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My friend was always the rugged individualist. Even when he was a boy, he was always the individualist. I mean, I would say the ideal John Wayne American male. Always the strong one, always the leader, always the one in charge, and very key to his self-identity, always independent. And in particular, of course, the older he got, independence understood as independent from dad and independent from mom. He was a guy who always seemed to have a job even before he was 16, working weekends, nights, summers, and having money was very key to his identity. I mean, he was independent of mom and dad. He didn't need them to buy him stuff. He would take care of himself. He didn't need them to take him places. He would take care of that himself as well. Not surprisingly, when he graduated from high school, he immediately found a full-time job. He's smart, skilled, hardworking. He quickly rose up above all of his peers, even the guys who were older than he was. He bought a house when he was young, got married when he was young, fathered three children when he was young. By the time his peers were uh, graduating from college, he already had his own household set aside. He was a man, and he understood himself as a man who was quite independent of mom and dad. Well, not dad so much. You know, he needed dad to do those kind of manly things with him, hunting, fishing. You know, his dad was there when he bought his first shotgun. His dad was there when he bought his first car, when he bought his first suit. You know, dad was worth something, but, you know, mom... I mean, I remember at a young age, he already sort of didn't think he really needed mom very much. And so it may not be very surprising that in those days, his relationship with his mom was not all that good. And so things went. When he was about 40 years old, just when everything in his life seemed perfect and ideal, when he was at his height, suddenly circumstances brought him down for a while. What happened to him was that he was stricken with a disease that affected both his physical and his mental health. The problem was the doctors didn't know what was going on. It took them a while to diagnose. And then when they had the diagnosis, they told him it would take about a year or more to fully treat this disease. So there he was at his height and then suddenly brought down. That wasn't the worst of it. His wife of 20 years left him. She didn't want a sick husband. And she left him with three teenage children in the house. And they didn't understand how their father, always the source of strength and leadership, could suddenly be so helpless and weak. He tried to share his concerns with a few male friends, but he said that didn't work out very well either. In fact, he said a few of them were, in his words, disgusted and repelled by his weakness. So he was afraid to tell anybody else and afraid to tell his father, lest his father respond in that same way. And so it was kind of a strange twist of irony that as he finally faced utter despair, he did the one thing that he thought he would never ever do as a man. He went home to mom. He went home literally crying to his mother. 
And he says that was the one thing that began to lead to his true recovery. In fact, he said his mother saved his life. Well, what did she do? Well, it may seem kind of sappy, but, well, what she did was quite literally true for him. She comforted him as only his mother could comfort him. She took him in. She didn't bring up any of the slights he had shown her over the past 20 years or more. Instead, she listened to him. She hugged him. She spoke tenderly to him. She reassured him of her love for him. No matter what happened, and she promised that she would be there for him, and then she kept that promise in the days and in the years ahead. She was a Christian, too, so she reminded him of that one thing he forgot, of the God who loved him and of his Savior, Jesus Christ, who had redeemed him. And now he looks back and he says, Mom saved me. When I needed that comfort, she was the only one in the whole world I could go to, and she took me in, and she comforted me. Now, my friend, of course, uh, he's still a conservative guy. He's not the kind of guy who would likely start praying to God as our mother who art in heaven. However, I think more than I could, he could identify with Isaiah 66, verse 13, where Yahweh says to his people Israel, as a man whom his mother will comfort, thus I myself will comfort you. As a man whom his mother will comfort, Thus I myself will comfort you, and in Jerusalem you will be comforted. Now, of course, this passage may give way to debate about whether we should use inclusive language, you know, pray to God as our mother who art in heaven. I mean, here Yahweh likens himself to a mother comforting her child. I wouldn't go that far, sorry. I think if you look at the context of Isaiah 66 and beyond, in the metaphorical language, it is Jerusalem who is the mother. Mother Jerusalem will give birth to a son in Isaiah 66, 7 through 9. And then those who mourn over Jerusalem, those who love her, are promised that they will nurse at her. Mother Jerusalem. Nevertheless, we should not let this passage be robbed of its power, that this is how Yahweh depicts himself with his people. As a man whom his mother comforts. Thus I myself will comfort you. Perhaps what's most problematic about this passage is really that Isaiah is addressing adults, people like us, and he's telling them that they will nurse, that they will be carried along the hip, that they will be bounced upon the knee. And I think I could probably identify with my old friend and think, you know, I would never really want as an adult male to be in that position, to be that helpless, that pathetic that needy? Not me. I mean, yes, I understand, you know, that's how we all began life, but we're supposed to grow up and not be there anymore. And yet, what a good description of God's people in exile in Babylon. The the strongest nation in the world has destroyed the holy city, has destroyed the temple, has carried them off, and this has all happened because God, their God, has punished them for their sin and rebellion against him. That's a good way to describe God's people in exile. Helpless, needy. Well, what's going to happen? Is God going to be disgusted at their weakness, repelled by them? No. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Isaiah 40, this is what God says for the preacher to preach. And here in Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. And God was faithful. God promised his people in exile that he would sustain their life, that he would restore them, that in Jerusalem they would be comforted. Who has ever heard of such a thing that a nation destroyed would suddenly be reborn? Yet the God of Israel was faithful to his word, and he accomplished this thing. And those people in exile called to rejoice then because God's word was true. He comforted them, he restored them, and brought them back. As a man whose mother comforts him, so I will comfort you, and in Jerusalem you will be comforted. Well, that's true for the exiles. What does this have to do with us? I don't know if any of you were in exile in Babylon and needed to be restored to Jerusalem. And you know, this word is spoken by the prophet to God's people at that time. So what does this have to do with us? I suppose I might quote my good friend, Joel Okamoto, and say, it doesn't have anything to do with us. And move on. Although it is pretty interesting that this passage, there's sort of eschatological language that indicates that there's sort of a remainder. You know, God says, uh, uh, I, am, I am extending to her peace as a river. I am extending the glory of the nations as an overflowing stream to Jerusalem. Was this fulfilled when they were restored? I don't know, is this Paul's collection for the Jerusalem church? I don't know. It seems that this is looking to the eschaton, and so it's kind of interesting how we find ourselves in a different but similar position as those exiles. For one thing, can you truly say that you were never helpless and needy like that child? What does Jesus say? Amen, I say to you, if you do not turn and become as little children, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, this is exactly what you were when God our Father saved you through his son Jesus and called you to faith through the waters of baptism. You were as the exiles were, helpless, needy, unable to sustain your life. Yet, as a man whose mother comforts him, So the Lord God of Israel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, comforted you and brought you into his people. And here we are now waiting the full consolation. We're waiting for our Lord to come back. We're we're awaiting the restoration of all things. And in this time, we're called to live as his disciples, to confess, to preach the gospel, to be faithful. And there's plenty of passages in the New Testament that call us to be mature. Mature, but never independent of God our Father. Mature, standing like adult men and women, but what happens when when we contend with sin, with death, with the powers of Satan, we get weary and worn out? What about those moments when this present evil age from which we've been rescued nevertheless wears upon us. When we get weak, will God our Father be disgusted and repelled by our weakness? Well, the God we see in Isaiah 66 is the way he is. He does not change. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us, does not change. When we need that comfort, 
God comforts us with his promises just as he did the people in Babylon. So he comforts his people today. And so as we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, I can say to you, the people of God, rejoice. Rejoice, you who love Jerusalem. Rejoice, you who confess the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Rejoice, you, the called people of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ. God will extend peace as a river to Jerusalem, the glory of the nations as an overflowing stream. You will nurse, you will be carried along the hip, you will be bounced upon the knee. As a man whose mother comforts him, so your God, the God of Israel, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will comfort you. And in the resurrection, in the new heavens and the new earth, you will be comforted. And may the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, keep us steadfast in this hope and in this comfort, both now and unto life everlasting. Amen. And now may the peace which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.